0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. It is The Game Plan with Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Game plan. It's a little special edition. We've got Jason Staples. We've got Greg Barnes and me. We've got Carolina and we've got Florida State. And we were talking off air. It could be the Mac Brown Bowl, but I much prefer the Doc Staples Bowl. How about that, Greg Barnes? Doesn't that ring? That that's a new tradition this year.
2: I think the I think the test here and who, who gains supremacy is what records. Mac Brown is 0-10 against Florida State. Jason, when you were with the Seminoles, what was your record against uh, North Carolina? Uh,
1: uh, Next question. (laughs) Are you just here so you don't get fined by Ben Sherman? (laughs) I'll let you off the hook. I don't want yep. to. Next question on that one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Let's just say that Mac and I have not had the most success <laughs> crossing over to the other side. I don't know what it is, but we seem not to
1: uh, not to have done the best uh, <laughs> going back. It is uh, quite an interesting dynamic, Greg. Uh, Mac Brown's futility against the Seminoles. Um, but that last one still sticks in his crawl. He mentions it every chance he gets he's done it again this week Uh, this is a game i mean carolina's got to figure it out it's not the coach it's not the programs it's the individual teams but somehow some way carolina's got to get this done on saturday right
2: yeah that's one of the great things about sports is that we can talk about x's and o's and schemes and players and personnel and coaches and all these things but for whatever reason um you know sometimes it's robberies sometimes it's just random opponents that uh, one team will have problems with another team and uh, for North Carolina it's been Florida State now to be fair when Mac Brown was in Chapel Hill the first time Florida State was the Alabama of the time right I mean they they were year in and year out one of the best teams in the country Uh, so you can kind of understand some of those struggles then but as we saw last year, uh, North Carolina was feeling pretty good about itself and going back and listening to some of the press conferences before that game was fascinating uh, because Matt Brown, as he said to, to today, it wasn't a matter where he wanted to completely neuter his guys and say, look, you're not as good as the top five ranking. But in listening to those press conferences last year, he was saying it without really saying it. Um, He's really saying, you know what? Your Big Ten's not playing yet. Pac-12's not playing yet. We haven't really earned this, but let's, let's roll the ball out there and let's see what happens. Um, and, and we all saw what happened. It wasn't it wasn't a good start, and they made a valiant rally there late, but, but it wasn't enough. Um, so, yeah, Tom, I really think it is. It's one of those unique situations where as bad as North Carolina looked against Virginia Tech, as bad as it looked against Georgia Tech, they didn't have that uh, outside motivation that they do for this game. I mean, they were embarrassed on national television in Tallahassee last year as the number five team in the country against the Florida State team that I believe was one and three at the time. And they were down 31-7, 24-zip. And, and people probably turned off the TV before they, they staged their late rally. So uh, Sam Howe acknowledged that earlier this week. This This is a game they understood what took place. And you got to forget about a lot of the things um, that kind of go into all these games and say, you know what, we take that personally, and we're going to come out and we're going to outwork them. We're going to play harder than them, and we're going to win the game by any means. Um, and we haven't seen this North Carolina really do that, and that's part of the, the program-building aspect that Mac Brown is desperately trying to instill.
1: Your comment there about uh, outworking them, Out physical and all that is not really in Carolina's DNA or hasn't been, quite frankly, for nearly ever. I mean, we could argue a long time ago that it was, and it has been in certain seasons. But, Jason, how much motivation is last season for this team? How much um, positivity or or good is it for the Florida State team, knowing that they – Uh, basically did what they did to this virtually the same bunch of Tar Heels minus quite a few stars. Where's the balance there? I think it matters
3: a lot to the Carolina players. I mean, this is one of those where there is no overlooking a one-and-four Florida State team this year. I mean, with what Florida State's put on film so far this year, even with some of the struggles that Carolina's had, it could be understandable to look, come into this game and go, should be able to, should be able to handle these guys. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll we'll take care of them. But after last year, Florida state will have their full attention all week. Uh, I'm confident of that, that they, that they are motivated more than more than the norm to handle business this week because of getting embarrassed last year, losing to a team that they had no business losing to. Uh, So I I do think motivation wise, this is one that not just this week, but during the year, I can guarantee you when the schedules came out, everybody's eyes went to, that was one of the couple games that they went to. They would have looked at Virginia tech. Okay. That's our opener. Okay. And then where's Florida state. We got to get those guys. I mean, I guarantee you that that was one of the games that that those guys wanted to take a look at and that they've been looking forward to. So I imagine that they're going to come out with a lot of extra motivation all week and that that will probably translate to some, some early chippiness and, and, uh, and passion, you know, they're not going to come out uh, flat in this game. If anything, the concern is that they come out a little bit overhyped because they're going to treat this as, as, as a, as a big game. So on the Florida state side, I don't think it really matters much other than to say for the coaching staff to say, yeah, we can beat these guys. I mean, look at last year. I mean, yeah, they got a really good quarterback. Yeah, they're good. You know, you, we all know how good they can be. But, I mean, there's no reason we can't beat them. So you're going to get that. But you're not going to get the same kind of uh, – you're not going to get the payback motivation, obviously. And you're not – this Florida State team has so many weaknesses that it's not like they're going to come into this game full of confidence knowing, like, oh, we beat them last year. I mean, if there's one thing, I mean, on the on the – Florida State side. If I'm the coaching staff, I want to look at that film again, and I want to show that team, look here. If if this game goes one minute longer, you guys get beat. And secondly, (laughs) this uh, you know this team can be beat. You know that was a better North Carolina team last year. We beat them last year, so that's how I would do it in terms of motivation on that side. But uh, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of little little pieces of intrigue off the field in, that, in this respect in terms of motivation and all that, that add up
1: to some more interest in this game. Yeah. And I said, Carolina hadn't really outworked and done that. Not consistent, consistently. They did it last year down in Miami and they've done it to NC state for the past couple of years um, under Mac Brown, but Greg looking at the talent and this is something that I, the line 17 and a half, I don't bet. I can't imagine That line being for this game, given the amount of talent. Now getting it done is surprised. Really, I mean that, Greg. uh, Greg, I'll let you do it, and then Jason, you comment. That just seems really, really high for a team that's Florida State's far better talented um, than their record. And it's like they get up for one or two games a year lately. Greg, is this one for Florida State? Hold on, Jason. I know you got a lot. Let's let Greg get in the stat guru and and get his piece in. But mm-hmm. I just, I wouldn't bet 17 and a half for anything on this one. Am I crazy?
2: Well, I mean, Carolina has a winning record against the spread this year, three and two. Um, and part of that is, and I think Mac Brown phrased it uh, exceptionally well this week. He, he did it Monday. and did it again today. When he described this offense as big play, bad play. And that, that's spot on. Um, and as we've seen, there, there's so many opportunities, especially with, uh, especially with Josh Downs. But And as much as Sam Howe's struggling, he can still make some big plays. And we've seen splash plays. And that's when this offense is at its best. And when you can do that, you can put up points in a hurry, especially if the opposing team has some breakdowns and you can take advantage of those. And so North Carolina's ability to score as quickly as they can um, it's one of those situations where it's either probably going to be a blowout for North Carolina, or if turnovers go in Florida state's way, then it's going to be a very competitive game. And I think that's probably why the, the spread is what it is, is because they know that if North Carolina plays a pretty good game and Florida state just kind of muddles it along, then you're talking about maybe a 21 point differential, um, can Florida State do better than that? Can they do what they did last year? Sure, but what happened last year? Right, there was a pick six, there was a block punt that led to a one-play touchdown drive. Uh, a lot of things like that kind of snowballed on North Carolina, and that's why they, they fell behind 24-zip early in the second quarter. Um, I'm curious to hear Jason's take on this team compared to last year's team, because Wake Forest is a good team. I think Louisville is probably better than a lot of people give him credit for. Notre Dame, Notre uh, Dame. I think it's a good team, not a great team. And Florida State played them pretty well. So it would appear that they're maybe a little bit better. But then you add in the fact that North Carolina has had a ton of success at home. Last year was on the road. Uh, a lot of different things kind of go into it. So I'm I'm a little bit with Jason here that I can understand the spread, but but I really believe it was this is going to be a blowout for North Carolina or it's going to be a really competitive game.
3: Go ahead, Jason. So I mean I, I think it's I think it's a good spread precisely because I wouldn't want to bet it on either side. And for exactly the reasons that Greg just laid out, I mean, yeah. this could absolutely be a North Carolina blowout or it could be a, a down to the wire football game between two teams that, that wind up really close. So, you know, I, I think that, I think the spread is, is right in the area, right in the zone that I would have put it. Uh, I think it's a fair, a fair, uh, estimation of of where the teams are at now in terms of this year's Florida State team versus last year's that's a hard question because in both years there's been kind of multiple Florida State teams because of a lot of I mean they've they've been decimated by injuries both of the last two years and which team you caught when or have caught when this year has mattered a lot now the team that played Notre Dame with was you know coming out of camp healthier than than uh, than they've been the rest of the year. I mean, you typically are in your opener. Uh, I think that team would have beaten last year's Florida State team pretty handily. I mean, probably by you know seven to ten points, reasonably comfortably on average. Uh, but the problem is that since then, and during that game and since then, they've dealt with a lot of problems, a lot of injuries, and a lot of of, of roster turnover. That has, I think, the, the team that played Wake Forest, for example, would have lost to last year's team by 10 points. You know, the team that played North Carolina, they'd have probably lost to by 14 or, or 17 in terms of what rosters were on the field because they just didn't have anybody that was healthy. Uh, you look at just look at Florida State's offensive line this year and the number of starters that they've played, the different combina- line combinations. Last game was the first game they'd started the same two line combinations two games in a row, and then they didn't finish the game with that line combination. (laughs) So, I mean, in in North Carolina fans, I I saw uh, on the on the tar pit uh, premium message board uh, earlier today, I saw somebody say that North Carolina's offensive line is the worst in the ACC. And it was pretty plain to me that this person has not watched very much ACC football other than North Carolina. (laughs) Because I'll tell you right now that that Florida State's offensive line on the year has been a lot worse than North Carolina's offensive line, partly because they've been so banged up. I mean, they've been a mash unit They're, they They came into the year and basically they had two offensive tackles, two guys that they knew like that could actually play the position. <laughs> it was one of those like, well, let's hope one of those guys doesn't go down. Hope he doesn't get hurt. And. As it turns out, the left tackle went down in game one. Well, actually, I I guess it was the end of game one and then also uh, beginning of game two. So he played first part of of the game against against Jacksonville State, the part of the game where they scored some points. And then the rest of the game, he was out, and you could tell. They didn't have another tackle that could play there. So they shuffled some things around after that. He came back a couple games ago. Playing right tackle because he actually couldn't set into that foot, like he actually could not pass set or or, or push off or do anything on that foot. So it was like, well, we're going to move you to the other side, move our other guy over to that side because this is the only we've got to have you on the field because you're even with one leg, you're better than any of our other tackles right now. So we're going to do that, but God forbid anybody rush to that side of you because you can't actually hold up on that side. So that was that's the situation they've been in a tackle and the other one's banged up too. Their right guard is a guy who's coming off offseason surgery, knee surgery and if you watch him between plays he's visibly limping. He's just gutting it out. Their starting center has missed 4 games. And their left guard is battling an ankle injury that he got in the first game. So you look at that that group and they were pretty average to begin with and they're average and walking wounded. They've struggled all year to, to block people. And then you pair that, you know, North Carolina has struggled at times to block people. They've been pretty average up front. They've been banged up at the center position, all that, but they're average basically up front, which they should not be with the, with the guys that they have. I mean, it's, it's not good enough for what they've got talent-wise up front to be what they've been. No doubt, it's frustrating. But the benefit is you got Sam Howell behind him. That's a guy that can make up for some of that stuff. Now, he's not always helped them this year in some ways. But, you know, you got a guy that, that look, he's a Heisman. He, he was a Heisman uh, frontrunner coming into the season for a reason. Florida State has had one-legged Mackenzie Milton. I mean, the guy is a medical miracle to be walking. And he's started two games for Florida State at quarterback. And then you've got Jordan Travis, who came into the year with a knee injury and then hurt his shoulder against Wake Forest and he's been banged up ever since. And then you got wide receivers that can't separate. They're they're average at wide receiver at best and they they lost last year teams had to account for Tamorian Terry who didn't play actually against North Carolina last year. So they got a, m- a more comparable wide receiver situation than what uh, what they're what to what they're going to get this year than than last year uh, than most teams last year. But last year they could depend on having one guy that teams were afraid of beating them deep. This year they don't have that guy. And then they've got some decent but not great running backs, and you say, okay, well, where are you going to score points? Like, what you want to have an identity on offense, but having an identity depends on you being able to do something well. And they don't really have anything offensively that they can do well. Uh, last year, they had a couple of things when when Travis was more healthy, like he was against North Carolina, his legs were something that they did great, but he's been banged up. He looked a little better this last week, so we'll see what he looks like coming into the Carolina game uh, once he gets there. I mean, if he, if he trends healthier, then that gives him more of a weapon, but they, they, they don't have a ton of firepower offensively and they don't block well enough to just be able to pound you. So that's that side of the ball. And on the defensive side of the ball, I think they're a good bit better on the defensive line than they were last year, even though they're a little less talented, I think they're playing better on the defensive line with their starters but they have zero depth and they just lost one of their rotation one of their sort of co-starters at defensive tackle for the season to a chop block. Uh, And so he's out. And then you look in the secondary and three of their uh, four uh, top secondary guys were out last game. So, and, and they're flat bad at linebacker. So they've got to protect their backers with a good defensive line. They've been able to do that at different points this year. But as soon as they have to dip into their depth on the defensive line, they're really vulnerable. And then they've got some players in the secondary, but they've had a lot of issues with, with communication and buy-in in the secondary from some of those guys. And like I said, last week, uh, what was it? Three of their top five and four of their top six defensive backs were out. So if the, if some of those guys are playing, if Travis J is actually healthy and playing at, at boundary corner, defensively, they're better than they were last year. If, that guy and you know a couple of their other defensive backs are out, they're not better than they were last year on defense. They're basically what they were. So that's kind of where they're at. They're, it's, it's a team where it's not, it, with, with this team the last two years, it's not been a motivation issue for why you've gotten the inconsistent play. It's a combination of a lack of overall talent. This is the least talented Florida State roster I've seen since at least 2009. And I think it's less talented than that year. So probably going back, 2007 the year that they barely made a bowl with with Bowden and and that team was probably more talented than this one so I think this is the least talented Florida State team since the 80s probably the early 80s and you combine that with the injury trouble and you combine that with being with this being a second year in a new scheme and a new coach after year one was a COVID year and you're going to get inconsistency because you don't have talent You've had you've had a ton of injuries, and you've got you know a lot of program instability the prior years where there's just not a lot of continuity. So they have enough players like on the defensive line that maybe they can turn you over a couple times and give you a real a, a real handful. But you know, game in game out, they just don't have enough weapons. You know, you're used to Florida State having a bunch of weapons, and they don't have that. They don't. They're not a team that you expect to score in bunches. They're having to create points with smoke and mirrors and just scheme, basically trick defenses into giving up freebies and
1: steal some points here and there. And that's what they're,
3: that's what they're doing.
1: Greg, I'm hearing Jason and I swear this is we're partying like it's 2020 because I heard the same stuff doing this very same podcast this time last year, going into this game and people are scared to death of Travis's running ability and that Florida State defensive line, Greg. Let's talk about Carolina's ability to stop Jordan Travis, and the and why goes back to the spread. Why the spread is accurate to you guys? Um, if it is accurate, they've got to stop him. How does Carolina do it? I think we hit it on, hint, hinted on it yesterday on on the beat live. Ja'Curius Conley becomes a big big factor. And dealing with the running ability of Travis, Greg.
2: Yeah, for sure. And as Jay Bateman has told us, I mean, for, for three years now, the reason that that his teams, his defenses, have struggled against running quarterbacks, by and large, is an inability to effectively set the edge, especially consistently. Um, and and that's, that's proven to be problematic. And so I think what North Carolina did against Duke uh, is probably going to be a similar scheme. Just because if Florida State wins this game, you don't want it to be because Jordan Travis ran all over you. You want it to be because you, he beat you through the air. Uh, and that's all we've heard about for the past year and a half is how good these, these North Carolina quarterbacks are. Uh, they kind of took a beating in the Virginia game, but uh, Armstrong is a very good quarterback. But this is the type of game where you, you tell those guys, look, y'all, you lock down on the outside. We're going to leave you out there on an island. Uh, we're going to do everything that we can to take away Florida state's running game. And if Travis is healthy, uh, as, as Jason talked about, that that's going to be your, your key component there. And then you, you get them behind the chains and you make him have to throw the ball on third down and that's the strategy. And yeah, um, you know, Conley, as we talked about the other night, Tommy uh, I mean, he is a big dude. He, he, he looks like he belongs with the linebackers and not with the, the safeties and and, Nichols. Uh, and then and you so, watch him run. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, and this is an impressive skill set that he has. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I like what Jay Bateman did last week, as, as we talked about. The, the emergence of Cameron Kelly, especially against Georgia Tech, gave Jay the confidence to be willing to move Conley up and say, I feel good about what we have at strong safety there. Therefore, I can use Conley in a different way as well as cross-training Don Chapman in the offseason so where he was able to play both safety and cornerback last week against Duke. Now you've got pieces that you can move around. You can really utilize Conley in unique ways. Uh, and I think that's – defensively, that's that's what they're going to try to do. And uh, as we've talked about so many other times, when you – North Carolina's offense, as much as it struggled, if you're able to hit on a couple big plays early and you put a team like Florida State in a hole, that changes the complexion of of the game Um, and really limits what they can do. And that, that gives Jay Bateman an upper hand.
1: Jason, one thing I want you to expound on Conley in this game, but somebody um, in the chat yesterday asked about um, if Carolina is going to play straight man on the outside and man in the defensive backfield, that's you're going to have a lot of backs turned to the quarterback. And, And if he gets free and runs, then that's an issue. Um, is that the approach against a guy like Travis um, and then you let somebody like Connolly just run free? That seems to me that you put a lot of pressure on your linebackers and your defensive line against that running quarterback. Am I wrong there?
3: Yeah, it is. It, it does put pressure on it, but it also gives you a plus one in the box, which is why so many teams do it. So what I mean there is if you're going man free, if you're covering everybody, Man to man, then you're going to have, you know, five players to cover the five guys that release or if they block one, then you green dog it. Right. He just at becomes a plus one as a rusher. So those five are in coverage and then you may have a deep safety. Right. So that's six guys in coverage and that leaves five basically free at that point. So you can have a plus one in the, in, against the against the uh, the pass rush to where you're forcing one on one matchups all the way across on, on the offensive line. And you feel like you should be able to win one of those, especially against Florida State's offensive line. And that's why you do it. You know, you basically put yourself in a position to do that. Now, what I think I would be looking at pretty closely if I were Bateman in this game, I would probably want to cover Florida State with a lot of one rat or one robber. So it it's basically a it's a or v- varieties of that. It's a it's a man free type coverage. But essentially everything gets funneled to the inside of the field where you have a whole player in that intermediate area. Who's another free player. Uh, So let's say you start in a two, in a two, uh, a two safety shell. One of those safeties rotates deep over the top to deep middle. The other safety rotates down to become intermediate middle. And then if the quarterback runs that safety then becomes an additional, a plus one to handle the quarterback, wherever the quarterback goes. And that gives you an athlete in the middle of the field. That that's one way to, to help slow down the, uh, the the quarterback running game at times. Because the other thing is that when you do robber type coverages, because things are funneled inside, guys are in man coverage, but they are they're they're actually tending to tilt and play outside leverage instead of inside leverage because you you're trying to funnel things to that robber or rat. because uh, if you throw there, that guy jumps anything on the inside. So that's one thing that against uh, against running quarterbacks, you'll see defensive coordinators do a little bit more if they feel like they've got the guys to be able to cover on the outside. Because you have to have guys that can run on the outside to be able to do this. Or you're just going to get guys that will run by you eventually. So, And I think Carolina's got the, the, the corners to be able to do that. Now, the, the, the complicating factor to all of this is that what Florida State's going to do in this game, I expect, is they're going to they're going to basically do what they did against Syracuse and try to win a bunch with the screen game on the outside to basically get guys out of the box cuz they can't throw the football in the intermediate area of the field. They they can't their their best hope of being able to throw it is basically to turn the turn the game into a triple option where they're box counting. They say okay, there's six in the box. We've got five Plus the running back plus the quarterback, five offensive linemen plus running back plus the quarterback. This is a run read. We're gonna run zone read. Or we're gonna run quarterback power or something like that, right? Now you get one extra guy out or one extra guy in the box to stop that. And then whichever side they've, you know, they've got an, a, a minus one, whichever side they like the matchup to, now you've got a now you've got a receiver screen. And what they did last week is they actually would play with two and three running backs on the field. Uh, and they'd line one of the running backs up to the right side behind a, t- a tight end split wide, another running back to the left side behind a six foot four receiver split wide, and then a back in the backfield with Travis. Or they'd go with you know, a, a trips formation where you'd have a tight end and a big receiver and then a running back behind him. And then Travis might be an empty. And so this whole thing, the whole design is if you've got numbers out there, If it's a three on three out there, or if it's a two on three, you know, defense has two over three, then you're throwing it out to the running back. And now instead of requiring your offensive line to block, which they haven't been able to do all that well, you've got a basically an ISO play on the edge. Now the ball takes a second to get there. So, you know, guys have to hold it or you can have some trouble. And Syracuse actually jumped one up the, uh, the, the tight end, missed the block. Syracuse actually got the interception on that an excusable missed block, but that happens. But as soon as you commit some additional resources to the outside, then they're running the quarterback, then they're, you know, running the extra back that's in the backfield, those sorts of things. So what they, what they'll try to do is basically force Conley, for example, as a nickel to go out and cover the screen area and get him away from the quarterback, right? Get Conley out there, get another safety, you know, get your boundary safety on the other side. And those guys have now have to deal with the with the wide screen game, and then we can play with everybody else here in the box. That's what they're going to try to do. the 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 thing that Carolina's got to be able to do is win with their interior three. This is a game where going some tight with with the three bigs might be good, uh, even against some more spread stuff. But basically, if they can win in the running game with those guys, then basically that that obviates that because they can commit they they're just gonna have to tackle well deal with blocks on the edge and and you know basically beat blocks and tackle on the edge so that they don't give up plays in the screen game the the quick screen game on the outside and then win in the box with your defensive linemen you do that and this florida state team's gonna have a really hard time scoring because they're basically depending on that screen game to be able to open up enough run lanes to be able to to matriculate down the field a little bit in in you know chunks running chunks and little things like that and then finally set you up for you know a little slip where it looks like a screen and then a guy's suddenly heading, heading up the field where you've got little uh you know slip from the one side and a wheel up the up the sideline and they're trying to you know pick on you because you came up too quick against the screen. That's what they're depending on is that stuff to to create some cheap stuff. And other than that, it's just Jordan Travis periodically setting up with a play action and trying to take a shot on a poster or or, or a deep ball because they, they don't have any other passing game because they can't trust their quarterbacks to make those throws. So, you know, Milton comes in, they've got a little bit more in the passing game there, but he's got other limitations. So that that's the thing to me, can Carolina win on the defensive interior with their defensive linemen in that three on five situation and be able to let those backers do, do their things. And can they, beat blocks and tackle in the, in the screen game. If they can win on the outside, it's going to be really hard for Florida State in this game.
1: Let's dig into the actual what will happen after the break. I'm going to talk about Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com, mm. the sponsors of this podcast, and Jason's favorite ad read of the Inside Carolina Network. Woo! They, uh, they look after us. They're they're great friends, like I said. They give you 10% off the order if you're a premium subscriber. And if you're a premium subscriber, you've seen Jason break down tape all week and all season about the very things that he's talking about. I'm sure we'll see plenty of it next week after Carolina and Florida State do, in fact, play on Saturday. But join them on Franklin Street at Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. Join them online. Get whatever you need. Tailgate. Uh, no home game he, home gating anymore you need to be in the bowls lot on saturday Um, join us out there for the live radio show with myself and joey powell get some uh, johnny t-shirt swag and and come see us national guys are going to pay the bills in three seconds we'll be right back with the game plan
0: hey guys this is ross martin from inside carolina i want to talk to you about inside carolina's new podcast sponsor It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awakening flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned. And it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state
1: law. All right, boys, it's the Game Plan Podcast. Tommy Ashley's your host. Jason Staples is there. Greg Barnes is there. Uh, I'm watching the Cardinals and the Dodgers, which is why I'm sitting in a recliner doing the podcast. If anybody, somebody said I was sitting in the dark last night. I mean, it's like as bright as it can get in here. Um, it is called a man cave for a reason. Greg, Carolina's defensive approach Um, as Jason outlined it, and what Florida State's trying to do, who's the most important player on the field for Carolina tomorrow? Not named Conley, if you think it is Conley.
2: Well, I I think there's two guys, just listen to what Jason said there, that have to be effective. Uh, um, And it's Miles Murphy and uh, Ray Vahasek. And they have to be effective up front. You don't have to dominate, but you have to control, and you have to be able to win a lot of your, your battles at the line of scrimmage. And if you can do that, uh, you really kind of tie things up. And Conley clearly is important here. And I don't think there's any question about that, how how North Carolina can use him, the impact that he can play defending the run. Uh, But if Florida State's able to have some success with that screen game, and he has to help out and commit over to the side, uh, the defensive line has to play well. And uh, I think that's that's very important. As Jason said, when the defensive line's doing what it's supposed to do, that, that really allows the inside linebackers, uh, Gray and, and Gimmel, for the most part, to fill the gap and really take away running lanes. And that's what you got to do. And as we talked about earlier, you, the outside linebackers have to do a really good job setting the edge. And if you're taking away options and you're able to win at the point of attack, then Florida State just, is not going to have many options. They're going to have to throw the ball, and that's what North Carolina wants. So I really think it starts up front. Yes, Conley. Uh, it's clearly a, a key figure, but I think for North Carolina to be able to have success, especially stopping the run, it's got to be Vasek and Miles Murphy because they've had success thus far this year anyway.
1: Jason, uh, is it Miles Murphy? I mean, is he this most the most reliable defensive lineman? And you mentioned earlier, and I wanted to ask that too as well. Um, you mentioned going three bigs across the front. A lot of people have wanted to see that more. Is this a game, um, like you mentioned earlier, but is this this a game that Jay Bateman can do that effectively, even with Travis back there?
3: So it depends a little bit on personnel packages. I mean, you you have to be mindful of what personnel packages Florida State's in, but I I think this is one of those games where – Basically, the question is Are you going to sacrifice a little bit more to be able to stop the run against a team that depends on being able to run the ball? Or are you going to try, are you going to think more about getting to the quarterback against a team that's not, not going to drop back and, and have their quarterback throw a bunch? Uh, so, I mean, they, last week, I think it was 70% of their offense basically was Travis running, one of the two running backs getting his hands on the ball or the tight end everything else was less than was 30% of the offense or less. I mean, they just didn't do much else. I think their leading wide receiver had 26 yards last week. Uh, if I remember right. So, I mean, they just, that they're, this is one of those games where, you know, if you're Bateman, you want to crowd the line of scrimmage and you want to muddy things up on the interior a lot. Cause one of the things Florida state does is they get very creative in the running game. They try to, to, to move you around and, and create new gaps with all sorts of different movement and formation. And, and, you know, they're trying to trick you. So one of the things you can do to kind of cause problems for that is sometimes just basically get enough dudes in the game that if they're moving around, you just basically, you're going to have to run around those guys. Uh, So I think there will be moments in this game where the three bigs approach is going to be the way to go. Uh, there are going to be other times where you're going to want to have, because of the issues of setting the edge against a, a quarterback who, because of how, how uh, injury, how much, in, how much of an injury history Travis has, you want him actually to run more between the tackles. So that's the other side of this. Is, and it depends on what you feel like in terms of setting the edge. Do you feel like you can set the edge better by putting, putting your, you know, too big, Interior and then maybe a Rucker and a uh, and a Tamon Fox or or a Des Evans out there as a as an edge setter uh, with some length to be able to run him down as he goes out as he tries to go outside. So it, I think it depends on down and distance. It depends on what Florida State's doing uh, personnel wise. But I think this is one of those games where you definitely, in my opinion, have to have your three big package ready for some of the stuff that Florida state likes to do because they'll, they'll put two, two tight ends on the field and try to find ways with formation to create those interior seams. And I think with some of the big guys they have, they can give Florida state's offensive line some trouble uh, and, and cause some problems in the running game that, that FSU won't want to want to deal with. So, yeah, it's a, it, it really, a lot of it goes to all of that and what, bateman feels most comfortable with in terms of who is best 11 are against that against those personnel packages
2: and here's the challenge tommy is is when we talked back in the spring about jay bateman has eight to ten guys that are 285 and higher and he can play you know three down linemen all he wants and he's got these outside linebackers and he's got some some talented inside linebackers it's going to be great right it's going to be this impressive defensive front while they're having that conversation what do they also do they moved Jacarius Conley to safety. And the reason they did that is because you can only have 11 guys on the football field. If you have 12 guys out there, that is a penalty. And so if you start doing the math, if you've got three down linemen and you want to use Tamon Fox and Des Evans or Chris Collins, and then you've got Gimel out there because he's got to be out there and then maybe Cedric Gray, well, guess what? We're already up to seven. And you got your two cornerbacks and you need two safeties. So Conley now is a nickel. How does that work? And that's part of the challenge, too. And so um, I, I do think it's going to be more of a situation where you're, you're going to see more of Murphy and Vahasic, most likely. And the fact that they're able to use Rucker as kind of a hybrid end and outside linebacker, you can use those three guys and still kind of get the same feel with, with Rucker being able to rush. And then you add in Fox Revens on the other side. And you've essentially got a three-man defensive front there you've got four guys across the line that allows you to keep Conley on the field. So, so those are some of the math equations that Jay Bateman's going to have to be figuring out this weekend.
3: Yeah. And, and that is the question is, do you, do you value having Conley at nickel more than having him at safety? Because when they do go three big, they're going to have to go there. If they're going to go that, you know, full three, four type thing, they're going to have to put Conley back at safety, which they can do. It's just a question of who you feel your best 11 are against that personnel grouping. So yeah, that's, that's the question. Um, but either way, uh, you asked if, Mur- if Murphy's that dude. Yeah. He has to be that dude in this game. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, and you're also dependent on your corners to play well, I think on the outside and be able to get off blocks and disrupt those screens. That's the other thing because of what they're doing in the screen game. Uh, you're, you're, you've, They're forcing those guys to do well, to be physical and get off tackle or get off blocks and make tackles. And they've done that well so far this year. I mean, both Grimes and uh, uh, and one have been doing both 20 and one have been doing a great job in terms of um, in terms of getting off blocks and and making tackles in the open field.
1: I mean, they're, they're bigger corners and that helps. Let's flip it. Sam Howell going against Florida state. It was a struggle early last year and Florida state's got some talent on the defensive line. We've talked about Carolina's offensive line issues. Um, how does Carolina have success Saturday afternoon, Greg? I mean, what, what do they do differently? If anything, um, to have some success against the Florida state team that's got some players out there on defense.
2: Well, as Phil Longo has talked about for two weeks now, um, one way you kind of take some of the decision-making process out of Sam Howell's hands is you give him some of those quick headers, um, and I think I think that's going to be important because I think Jason laid it out quite well earlier. Florida State State's strength is the defensive line, so I want to give you some numbers here, Tommy. Um, if your strength is up front, and you know North Carolina struggles uh, against pressure, it's pretty easy. To tell you what's going to be the difference maker in this game potentially, uh, Sam Howell. Thirty-five percent of his dropbacks have been under pressure. He's got a fifty-five point one offensive grade in that stretch. He's completing thirty-four percent of his passes on dropbacks under pressure. And here's the here's the key number: thirty-three percent of those pressures have turned into sacks. And so. Regardless of if it's the running back's fault or if it's Sam Howe's decision-making or if it's the offensive line not doing what they're supposed to be doing, all of these things add together to form this mess that we're currently looking at. Uh, and so if you can effectively apply pressure up front, that's going to stress that entire unit. And that's how you slow down North Carolina because you don't have to sack Sam Howe every single play. But one sack on a, on a series goes a long way in in, uh, getting off the field. And I think you'll see a lot of that. So it's really going to be a matter of of North Carolina being able to get the ball out of Sam Howell's hands quickly, try to find some running lanes that work. Uh, And if you can get some momentum going early because UNC has struggled so much on first and second down, then it becomes a challenge for the Seminoles. Uh, But if the Seminoles are able to take control of the line of scrimmage, it's going to be another long game for the Tar Heels.
1: Greg referenced those first and second down struggles. Go back and listen to the On the Beat live podcast for a complete stat breakdown that sort of blew few people's minds, but it was fascinating to listen to all those numbers. Jason, Carolina's offense versus your Seminoles defense. I see uh, Jermaine Johnson's got six sacks and eight tackles for loss to lead the league. Uh, that's a little troubling for a Carolina offensive line that has had st- That has struggled blocking guys.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, what's what the craziest thing about this is that Jeremiah Johnson is a is a transfer from Georgia because he basically was not going to get a ton of time (laughs) at Georgia this year. (laughs) And he is so far and away the best player on Florida State's defense. And uh, I think going into last week, he was tied for the national lead in sacks and, you know, right up there with uh, with um, tackles for loss, and he's leading the ACC in both categories. And you go, good Lord, if that's Georgia's table scraps, I mean, how good is their talent level right now? I know. Why Think mean? about
1: that. The ACC's best sack and tackle for loss guy couldn't see the field for Georgia. I mean, he was in their rotation, but he was not starting for them. Wow.
3: That's... <laughs> So, first of all, let's just pause to consider what that means. That's just that's just unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is Florida State's far and away their best strength is that defensive line. Their back seven has all sorts of problems. And, to me, Carolina can do themselves a lot of favors in this game if they come into this game determined to feed the ball to Ty Chandler in the passing game. Nope. The more they can get Chandler matched up with, in particular, 46 uh, Lundy for Florida State, who's a good linebacker. He just can't run once you get him outside the the box. The more they can get him matched up against him or against really any of Florida State's linebackers, the more trouble Florida State's in. They're going to have trouble handling Chandler in the passing game if Carolina can get him one-on-one with those guys. So that's one of the things that I know Longo is going to be looking at and going, okay, well, you know, that's a matchup I like. Uh I think also Josh Downs is going to be a problem as he is for everybody. Uh I think they, they run a little better on the back end than some of the teams that Carolina's played in, in the last couple of weeks. I mean, you look at uh you look at Duke and, and Virginia, they were both so unathletic in the secondary that I mean, anytime Downs caught it, he could just basically run away from those guys like he was playing a JV team. Uh I don't think you'll see quite the same level of disparity against Florida State, but then again if you go back and you watch the 55 yard run from Garrett Schrader last week, the, uh, the, the Syracuse quarterback, who's, you know, 6'4, 230, and looks every bit the pocket passer. And he gets in the open field and sprints away from Florida state's linebackers and, and secondary. And you go, well, you know, maybe those guys just are not the athletes that you're used to seeing down there. Um, so, you know, to me, they, th- this is a game where you come into the game determined to pass, to set up the run. And to use your slots and your running backs and your tight ends to get the matchups on the inside that you like. You can do a lot of damage against Florida State by using a lot of crossing routes, using uh, tight ends, running backs, slot receivers between the hashes, uh, and then on option routes and things like that to give them trouble because they just, the athletes at safety and at linebacker, don't match up against some of the personnel that, that they've seen in the ACC so far, and certainly not against, against North Carolina, what they've got at those positions. So to me, you pass to set up the run, you try to establish a lot of quick stuff there to force those guys to move. This is a game where uh, I would try to run Josh downs on some crossing type stuff, some, some over routes, things like that to get him across the field and just force Florida state to, to, either switch off on him which they've been terrible at this year or to have somebody run with him all the way across the field and I think again that the athletic matchup there is going to be a hard a hard thing so I would be focused very much on trying to get downs the ball in those situations and looking at getting Ty Chandler uh, and also to a lesser extent uh, Morales who I think is a really good athlete at tight end get those guys matched up on on the Florida State linebackers who just don't run well uh, and, you know, 20 covers pretty well for Florida State, but otherwise their their backers really are a liability in coverage and see what you can get matchup wise there. Get the ball out of Howell's hands quickly. That has to be an emphasis this week because of what they have on the defensive line. But there's so many things that they give you because of their weakness in that middle of the field in the back seven that you can you, you should be able to shorten how how long the quarterback has to hold it. And you just emphasize to him, get it, get it out. If you get it out against them and you can give give your playmakers a chance against the, that back seven, they're going to make plays for you. Uh, and I think at that point, Carolina's offense should, should have some advantageous matchups. That's what I would be doing. And I, I know that's uh, what Florida State is uh, most concerned about coming into this game.
1: So, Greg, when we're talking about this game on Sunday, give me uh, the players of the game for North Carolina, both uh, – a couple on offense, one on defense, and your prediction on the score.
2: I think offense. I'm gonna go with Sam Howell. Uh, he he has struggled a little bit this year. Some say his regression. Um, whatever it is, he he hasn't looked like the Sam that, that we saw last year. Uh, and so I think I think if he's able to get rid of the ball quickly and make some better decisions, uh, both with RPOs and and with some of the uh, the zone read stuff. I think that's all it's going to take. Um, and so North Carolina, more than anything, needs him to really rally and, and play better. And that'll make the entire offense look better. For North Carolina to be able to, to stay in the ACC race, he's going to have to elevate his play. Everybody else is too. But um, if he can do that, he, he can drag guys along. We, we saw it in 2019. He didn't have to do it quite as much last year but he needs to kind of get back to that, that role. So I think he's the key guy offensively, probably you know, for the foreseeable future. Uh, defensively, uh, you know, I'll go back. You know, I think it's the defensive line. Um, if you can really establish your position up front uh, that makes things harder for Florida state as, as Jason's laid out uh, exceptionally well, Florida State's really limited in what they can do. And so if you can, if you can win up front uh, that, that, switch this thing in your favor very quickly. And so I, I think Vahasic and, and Murphy, both those guys are, are probably going to be the players of the game.
1: Go ahead and give me your score prediction before Jason does, because I don't want him to be.
2: I don't have a coin on me. Um, I think that North Carolina playing at home is, they're more comfortable there. I think the crowd will help. Uh, I think there is a revenge factor that, that is going to play a part of this. So I've got North Carolina winning this one. I'll say, uh, 38, 17.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yep. Too late. You can't pick it. Jason, (laughs) give me, give me, give me two guys, two dudes that come out of this one and a score prediction. So for on offense, it's Josh Downs until it isn't, uh, that's,
3: that's my dude. When it comes to players of the game in this, in this game, I expect him to have some, uh, some big plays in this game, uh, with, with, what they do and some of the problems that they've had in the secondary. uh, And just in general, some of the matchups that you're able to get against them. I I think uh, I think Josh Downs will have another hundred yard plus day. Um, And then defensively, uh, I'm also going to go with miles Murphy. I think against this Florida state, the uh, Florida state offensive line, if you, if you've got a guy that can really control the defensive interior uh, and, and force Florida state to, I mean, the whole the, the whole offense is already left handed, but force them to beat you with, you know, with their feet instead of with, the you know, either hand, the, the right hand's already cut off. Um, if you can force them to to do something else, then that really causes problems. If you can if you can occupy a couple blockers or create havoc and, and, and pressure the quarterback. And I think Murphy's the guy that has continued to do that. He continues to flash more every game. Uh, and aside from him, I would say Conley is the other obvious uh, choice here because of what they're going to be able to do with him. I think this is a game where I would expect to see a lot of the, uh, the, the sort of big 12 blitz as it's called, basically the bringing the nickel off the edge, uh, for a a fifth rusher, uh, because that can force the offense to speed some things up and against the, the screen game. A lot of times that guy can actually get into the, into the passing lane. So I would expect Conley to be brought a lot as a blitzer. And I think he's going to be very, very disruptive. So cheating a little bit to get both of those guys uh, in this. So uh, I that was not ex- actually my exact score, Greg, but it was really close to where I'm going um, in terms of score. Again, I think this is one of those games where with the, a, a couple of bounces early and things like that, Florida State could, you know, end up, hanging close and could they could beat this this North Carolina team with a couple breaks uh, and but they'll need a couple breaks and ultimately that's not something I would want to bet on Uh, so I think North Carolina should be favored in this game by about what they are and I think the the area of, of score that I'm kind of expecting in this game is somewhere around Carolina 38 Florida State
1: 13. Interesting take. Close from both of y'all. I'll pick mine on Saturday in the Bulls lot at Inside Carolina Live. Uh, this is a game that, uh, Greg, one of the points you made last night, I mean, we're recording this Wednesday night. you will hear it Thursday. But on Tuesdays on The Beat Live, you said this game will say a lot about this North Carolina's character. Mm-hmm. And I think that nails it. And I want to know what we'll be talking about on Sunday. What type of characters will we be talking about on Sunday? Uh, but we'll talk about it plenty more. Inside Carona Live from the Bowls lot, I guess, 1230 to 230. Um, join us down there. Staples will be on the phone. Barnes will show up. Who knows, you know, who else might show up. Last week it was Ryan Switzer and Bug Howard might have some special guests this week. As always, Inside Carolina will have you completely covered for Carolina and Florida State, three thirty on Saturday. Johnny T-shirt. Thank you, Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. Thank you. This has been the game plan on InsideCarolina.com.
0: You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like
3: this comes around once in a
0: lifetime. This Friday,
3: experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If Ready PG.